0: Visitors, if, if you're new here, um, we will be back to normal in just a couple of weeks, uh, but for now we're going to continue with the book of Ruth. Now for those of you who've been here for a while, we finally made it, all right? This is the last uh, chapter, the last sermon, as quickly as I can get through it, we'll see, uh, the last sermon that we would have here in the book of Ruth, for those who've been here this is, I think, our sixth sermon in Ruth, but it's been over the course of about four years. Usually, when somebody says I've been in the book for four, the book of Ruth for four years, you think, Wow, you're really digging deep. No, we just kind of fill in where we can. Uh, when Pastor takes a vacation, and I step up. Uh, that's when we get to this book. So we've finally come to the end, and I think it's only fitting that we kind of do a real quick review. And I promise I will be. A little bit quicker than actually reading the whole thing, but I want to make sure that for those of us who are not familiar with the story, we kind of know where we're at before we just pick it up here in chapter 4, because we're essentially at the end of the narrative. So very quickly, we first started this book, um, like I said, a few years ago, and the setting is during the time of the judges. So if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you know that um, you know that time between when Moses leads the people out of Uh, Egypt, and Joshua brings them into the promised land. After Joshua passes off, there's this time period known as the Judges, which is covered in the book of Judges, incidentally, um, where there is really no established authority. God is raising up men, and in one case, women, to help restore his people and bring them back as they wander uh, away from him, and then you know, they're in need and they call back out to him. And so that's the setting of Ruth. There's, uh, Judges really sums it up best in a couple of its statements in that it says twice. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And there was no king in Israel. Nobody to really take charge to look to to set the example. So everybody was just kind of doing their own thing. And that's the setting that the book of Ruth takes place in. And sometime during this period, there is a famine that happens in Israel, and a man decides to pack up his wife and pack up his two sons, and they move to the country of Moab. It's a neighboring country. It's a pagan country, and decides we're going to just kind of head over there. Hopefully, things will be better. And whether the intention was to stay there forever or to eventually move back once the famine got over with, don't really know. But we just know he packed them up and moved them to Moab. And during that time, his. Uh, His sons grow up, they get married, they marry a couple of women from the country of Moab, and then tragedy strikes. Naomi, who is the wife of the man who brought them, Elimelech, uh, Elimelech dies, and Naomi's left a widow. And sometime shortly after, um, both of her sons die. And so you have these three widowed women uh, in the country of Moab, and they're just kind of left on their own to figure things out. So Naomi decides, well, I mean, I've had enough of Moab. looks like things have not turned out so great. So I will just head back to Israel and kind of start life over again and go from there. So she determines to go back to Israel. And her two daughter-in-laws do the the nice thing. Hey, we'll go back with you. You know, we'll help you out. And uh, somewhere along the way, right when they get to about the border, Naomi kind of sits down and says, listen, ladies, I appreciate you guys coming along, but it's not going to get very, very easy from this point on. You're going to be foreigners. You're going to be, you know, refugees kind of in this new country. Um, You know, you're probably going to face some adversity. I don't have any more kids, so, you know, if you're waiting for me to get remarried and have kids and have them grow up, you're going to be waiting a while, right? So it might be just easier if you guys just head back home. Start your life back over in Moab, find a new guy, and just move on. And one of them decides, you know, that makes a whole lot of sense. I'm just going to head back. But the other, Ruth, the book is named after, decides that she has had enough of Moab. And even though life in Israel may not be easy for her, and she doesn't have a whole lot of hope to look forward to, being with Naomi, being with the people of God, and being with Naomi's God... More important than anything that Moab can offer back home. And so it says that she clings to Naomi. So Naomi says, All right, well, I guess if you're if you're not leaving, I'll take you along. And so they enter back into Israel, and there they are. They're destitute, they're poor, they're impoverished, they have little support, it seems. And so they're back there in. Ruth decides, well, I don't want to just starve to death. I mean, you know, um, life isn't going to be easy, but I might as well do something. So she goes out and decides that she's going to go gleaning and picking uh, up grain that's left over, that's dropped by the harvesters out in the fields. And so she just picks a random field, goes out one morning, picks a random field, and decides to start gleaning. By chance, as Scripture says, but we understand Not by chance, as we'll hopefully see as we go on. She happens upon the field of a relative of Naomi's. And Boaz, who's the owner of the field and the relative, has heard about Ruth and her coming back and taking care of her mother-in-law, and he sees that she's been out there working in the field and catches his attention. And so he makes sure to offer her protection and he offers her provision. He says, hey, don't go somewhere else. Stick in this field. I'll make sure that you're safe, and I'll make sure that you're taken care of. And he tells his, his workers, hey, leave her alone, and oh, by the way, maybe throw a few extra grains her way so she can be taken care of. And so she comes back home, and she's excited because she's had such success on the very first day. And Naomi, recognizing an opportunity, says, ah, this guy's a close relative there's a chance here that we could have things put right and we could be redeemed and we could actually have our land and our our everything restored to us. And so she comes up with this plan and we're almost to the summary here. Comes up with this plan here where in chapter three, she has a very interesting marriage proposal where she sneaks in while he's sleeping uh, in the barn and lays down at his feet and he wakes up and... Yikes, there's somebody at my feet. And uh, she asks him essentially to protect her, to redeem her, and to marry her. And so that's where we leave the story. Boaz essentially says, I'll do what I can, go back home, and I'll let you know how things turn out. So that's where we leave the story and pick it up here in chapter 4, verse 1. So now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Just to kind of give us a little bit of that insight into the last chapter. Boaz is willing to do this. He's willing to marry her and to redeem her and to take her as his wife. But there's a little bit of a hitch in that there is another relative who's a little bit of a closer relative than Boaz. And so he asked to go and check if this guy wants to redeem her or if he'll let Boaz. And so that's, again, where we're at here. So this guy that he's been waiting for, this redeemer, comes by. And so Boaz said, turn aside, friends. Sit down here. He turned aside and sat down, and he took 10 of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me so that I can know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gathering of your people. We thank you for... God, just all that you are doing and have done for us just in this past week, this morning. I pray that our attention would be focused on what you'd have for us out of your word. Help us to be uh, mindful of its truth, diligent to apply it to our hearts. I pray that you would help me to speak with clarity, help me to speak with uh, integrity, Lord, to communicate what you would have in your word, and I pray that you would grow us through it. In Jesus' name. Before I really dig into this, I just kind of want to ask a question. Have you ever thought, those of you who've been Christians for a while, live in your life for God, have you ever had those moments where you ask, kind of, what's the point? Where you feel almost like you're not really getting where you thought you would be by now? And you sometimes wonder... Man, all this effort, all these sacrifices that I've made through my life, all the things that I'm doing for God, aren't having as big of a payoff as I maybe thought they would. I want you to hold on to that thought for a moment. Let's take apart the passage a little bit. So we have this situation, if I can set the scene for us, we have... The gates of the city is kind of like the city hall back in those days, right? And so when Boaz goes to the gates of the city, this is where business is conducted. This is where stuff gets done, right? And so Boaz is there at the gates of the city. And uh, I imagine the walk to the gates was a little bit nerve-wracking for him. I mean, again, you think about this. He and Ruth have developed this, this love and affection for each other over the time that she's been gleaning in the field She's come to him and, and, you know, asked for him to marry her, to to save her essentially from the poverty and the the destitution that she's facing, uh, the loneliness and everything that goes with that. And he sees in Ruth a woman of great character and a woman uh, whom
1: he loves. And he wants to marry her, but he also knows in the back of his mind that
0: what he wants may not be what is best for her. And that in spite of the feelings that he might have and the desire he might have to just go ahead and say, well, forget the rules, let's just get married, he recognizes that God needs to be honored. So that walk to the gate in the morning from his farm, maybe he's almost hoping that the guy won't show up. Waiting. I imagine... If I were him, I'd be pacing back and forth. Okay, when's this guy going to show up? What's going to happen? What do I say? How do I stage this thing? Uh, you know, and, and just kind of wringing his hands, wondering how this is all going to go down. And he, people start filing in and out of the city, and he's kind of glancing up, taking stock of who's walking by. Eventually, he sees... The guy he's looking for. And it's a mix of, okay, here we go,
1: and a mix of, yikes, what could happen? Calls out to him, says, hey, friend. Now, he might have called
0: him by his name. I mean, assuming they're good relatives, they probably know each other's names. Bible leaves that out, whether that's to protect the innocent or just uh, that, you know, it doesn't. the author didn't feel it was important, but he just calls out to him, says, hey, come on over here. He calls him over, gathers a bunch of people together, and says, hey, here's the situation. Naomi's back. She needs to sell the land. We can redeem it. We can keep it in the family. For those of you who are not familiar with some of this, I would just encourage you, uh, rather than go through all the different uh, uh, laws that we talked about about regarding Leverite marriage, you're welcome to go back and listen to some of the other sermons where we went into that in more detail. But essentially, there's a, there's a law here that allows a near relative to come and buy that land. And what that does is it keeps the land and it keeps everything in that family line so that if somebody dies, they don't lose the property and their name is not erased. Why is that important? Because of the promises that God made to the people of Israel regarding lineage and land. And so this rule exists and Boaz says, hey... Here's the thing. She's come back. You can buy the land. And if you want to buy the land, you, you know, we can have everybody here and you just tell us whether you want to do it. I was going to buy it, but I recognize that you have the first kind of right of refusal. So I'm offering to you if you want to buy it, go ahead and buy it. If not, then I'll go ahead and buy it. And there's a lot of good to this. You can see his response immediately is I will redeem it. Probably because, hey, this is good for me, right? This guy is sitting there thinking, okay, so I could have some extra land. I mean, Naomi's not doing so well. She's a good family friend. She's a family relative. I want to take care of her. Plus, everybody else is probably going to think I'm a really nice guy because I'm taking care of her, and that's the right thing to do. So, you know, I get some some brownie points, so to speak, and I also get... Some extra land And who doesn't want extra land Because land is money And I can increase my wealth So yeah Actually Boaz Now that you mention it That sounds like a great idea I'd love to buy that land
1: You notice I stop there Because I want to see A rejected opportunity here That comes
0: by I feel like Boaz Might have planned this out A little bit He's just given enough information To plant the seed Before he drops the other shoe and I use that on purpose, as we're going to see, and, uh, and says, okay, all right, hey, that's great. I'm glad you want to redeem it. Oh, and by the way, verse number six, or five, I'm sorry. Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Oh, there's a footnote here. There's some fine print. Okay, got it. Boaz kind of decides to drop that fine print right at the end, say, by the way, when you get the land, you also get Ruth. And so the Redeemer's like, well, wait a second, that's not what I wanted. I wanted wealth, I wanted prestige. I don't know that I want the hassle of having to take on a a spouse, and now any child that Ruth and and this guy have is actually going to carry on uh, Elimelech and Naomi's son's name. So it really won't even be my own kid, so to speak, in that any inheritance is actually going to go separate to him, so now I'm going to lose the land that I just bought. And so this isn't such a great deal after all. So he says in verse 6, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take the right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And here we have a situation where this guy has this wonderful opportunity. From a material side of things, he's all on board. But when it comes to any sort of cost, any sort of effort, any sort of thing that might cause him to maybe lose some of his material goods and lose some of his uh, control over things, he's not quite so on board. Now it's not such a great deal because I only wanted the land and the wealth. I didn't want all the other hassle that comes with it.
1: It's amazing how when Boaz hits this guy with the cost of doing what's right, he backs off. The child's going to be Naomi's, the inheritance is going to go to that child. In
0: the long term, doing the right thing here as the Redeemer will be a costly, sacrificial thing for this man. And so when he finds out that it actually costs to do the right thing, no thanks, I'll pass. I would say very quickly in passing, it's not necessarily the focus of our sermon, but I will say in passing, the tragedy of this man's life and the comparison that we can make to our own of those who would pursue wealth and prestige in this world and not count the cost of following Christ. There are many who will take this, you know, they see the things that church as a community offer, the friendship and the fellowship and maybe the different events and all the things that can go on inside that church, and maybe even the benefits of, you know, Acknowledging God and getting accolades and maybe even using those things. Maybe you get some connections with different people. There's a lot of people who can see Christianity as a benefit. But when they find out that, oh, it actually will cost you, that those who live godly will suffer persecution, that uh, it is a cross that we must bear, how quickly? They're like, no, that's not for me. Like that rich young ruler who, hey, I've done all this stuff. What do I need to get eternal life? You have to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Yikes. That's a step too far, Jesus. That's that's asking a whole lot. I mean, I just wanted you to give me all the good stuff. I didn't want to give anything to you. That thought that comes in. And as we're going to see, this man missed out on quite a bit because he wasn't willing to count that cost and to do the right thing. It costs him really so much more, as we're going to see at the end of this
1: chapter. But that's where we're at. This guy has an opportunity, turns it down. Not worth it.
0: Too much hassle. Not enough in it good for me, so forget it. So now it goes to Boaz. So verse 7, and I'm going to admit this is... I'm glad we don't do contracts this way anymore. But Verse 7, we get a little insight into how they settled contracts back in that day. I'm good with signing things. But verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off a sandal and gave it to the other... This was the manner of attesting in Israel. Imagine when you bought your house, you had to hand your realtor your shoe.
1: Little awkward. So the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he took off his sandal.
0: Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So here we have Boaz saying, hey, this guy took his shoe off. You all saw it, right? Contract's done, done deal. I'm buying everything, and there's the shoe to prove it. So all the people who are at the gate say, all right, we saw it, we're witnesses. And then they pronounce a blessing on Boaz and his future wife. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamor bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so we have this this redemption obtained, right? We have this situation here where we have two guys. They have the opportunity to redeem it. One says, no, it's not worth it. The other says, let me add it. I want to do this, and I want to wrap it up today. What is the difference? What is the difference? They both are able financially to do it. They both initially seem willing to do it.
1: But only one actually accomplishes it. Because for Boaz, it's not about the land. At least not only about the land. Because in
0: this, he is first and foremost thinking of doing the right thing and being with Ruth. There's a love that Boaz has that that other redeemer doesn't. See, they can both be capable of doing it. But the difference is the relationship that Boaz has to Ruth. He sees the value in
1: her and wants to redeem her. You know, and this blessing here that comes afterwards,
0: right? Make her her like Leah and Rachel who built up the house. This is Jacob's wives who had children. Those are where the 12 tribes come from. It's interesting that a blessing like this is being pronounced not over an
1: Israelite woman, over a Moabite. I mean that this is a person who's been excluded from the
0: people of God. This is a person who has grown up worshiping false idols, who has been exposed to all kinds of pagan practices, and who has never had, up until probably some time at her relationship and her marriage any exposure or any desire to have a relationship with God. And how far we have come from the fields of Moab and home and being away from God and really being distant to being brought in. Now she is about to get married to a prominent man in the city. And the Israelites, the Jewish people at that time, are pronouncing blessing on her that she would be fruitful. Normally they would say, hey, we don't want you here. But because she's being redeemed and because she's been brought in and because of what she
1: has done for her mother-in-law, she is being accepted and welcomed and blessed. It's interesting, too, to note that the cost for Boaz and for that other
0: redeemer are still going to be the same. I don't think Boaz is going to get a discount because he's Boaz. He's still going to pay the same money. He still is going to do all the same things. And frankly, some of the the reasons that that redeemer might not want to redeem Ruth still exist for Boaz. Because when Boaz and Ruth, if they have a child, that child will essentially be in the line of Naomi, and so the inheritance is going to go back. So he's going to lose the same thing that the other guy did. Not only that, but he's going to have the stigma of being married to a foreign woman who, you know, might be looked at a little bit differently because she's not one of us. And who maybe has a, uh, you know, a little bit of, a, you know, uh, a stain to her, so to speak, for having come from a different place and, and not really knowing all of the customs and the things and the way we do stuff around here. And he's going to face the awkwardness of, you know, uh, I've got to uh, support a wife. I've got to support a family. And I've got to deal with all these things. Uh, He could very much uh, have said, not worth it either. And just keep right on going down the line. Or, hey, it's not my problem. You ladies are impoverished. You need a redeemer. That's great. Hope you find somebody. But he was willing to take that on, to, to assume the cost. And the other interesting thing about his character is he was willing to do this he, he was willing to do what was right, even when it would have cost him possibly marrying Ruth. That's what blows my mind about this. I mean, if this were a modern love story, right? And, uh, you know, you had two, two people meet, and, and they fall in love, and somebody says, well, you know, in order to do this, you know, actually, you know, the right thing to do is this over here, and that might mean that this person marries somebody else. We'd all be like, follow your heart right? Who are they to tell you what to do? Doesn't matter. Uh, it's right if it feels right. And so you guys should just forget about all those rules and just be together because that's really what's going to be the best thing, right? I mean, Boaz could have said, Ruth, I love you. This other guy, ah, you know, he's not going to love you the way that I love you. So let's just forget the rules. Let's just run away to a different city and we'll just uh, get, get married there and, and we'll live our life however we want. No, Boaz faces the possibility when he gets up that morning and the woman that he loves has just proposed to him to say, I love you so much that I will honor God and if that means that it's better for you to be with somebody else, I will give that up because I care more about you than I care about me. What a difference that is. So much of our modern love is very selfish, isn't it? What makes us feel good? What makes us happy? And so, yes, being with this person will make me happy. True love is sacrificial. If, being, if not being with me will be better for that person, do I love them enough to do so? Amazing character that we see here in Boaz, being willing to risk all of his own happiness, frankly, and the love that he has For Ruth, because what's right is more important and what's best for her is more important than even his own selfish desires. But notice the goodness of God in this because while there's a chance this doesn't happen, God in his goodness providentially works and he's rewarded. And so here we have the next thing. So Boaz, in verse 13, takes Ruth. She became his
1: wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Here is the result, the culmination of this whole love story. A love story which, incidentally, we don't have any description of how they looked. Should tell us something about love and looks.
0: We have no description of, of how beautiful Ruth is. How handsome and strong Boaz is. Not much detail there. But we have a lot of information about their character.
1: The type of people that they are. And so here, Boaz, imagine this was
0: just an amazing wedding, wedding party. I imagine it went great. He comes back. I imagine it might have been a little bit awkward when he shows back up. Uh, if, if it were me, I would probably have the shoe behind my back, so that you know they didn't really know what turned out, and I'd probably play it off a little bit, like so. I talked to the guy down at the gate, got some bad news, and then pull out the shoe, and then everybody's celebrating, right? That's just me. I'm not saying Boaz did that. We won't read that much into it, but I imagine the relief that Ruth must have felt when he shows back up and he's like, "We did it." He said no you're mine, let's get married, let's get this over with. And so they get married, and they have a child. Now notice, the story could have just ended with their marriage. And that would have been a nice end to the love story. It would have been a nice, ah, they got married. But this situation continues. The story doesn't end with Boaz and Ruth getting married. There's more to it. They have a child. And notice it says the Lord gave her conception. Again,
1: just a passing note. But there was no guarantee they were going to have kids. There was no promise. They were just going to be
0: together. And God intervenes. God brings life to Ruth and Boaz. And it's setting a stage for some things, but I just want to not gloss over that too quickly. Life, very precious thing,
1: life is something that God has a hand in. And life, unfortunately, in our world, is very cheap. And in many ways, it's viewed as a problem rather than a blessing.
0: So I'd simply say this just again in passing,
1: that it's God who brings life. And so it's not our purview to take it. So many times we want to have exceptions. And all I would say is this. We try to find exceptions where something like that is allowed. Especially when we talk about children. Taking the life of an unborn child. If we look at where Ruth came from, she's from what country? Moab. If you don't know where Moab started, if ever there was a case
0: where we would think maybe that's okay, maybe this situation is so awful that it would be better if the baby wasn't born,
1: understand that if that was the thought with Lot, Moab would not exist. Ruth would not exist.
0: And so as tragic as that is, as evil as that is, we understand that God can still work in a wonderful way to bring beauty out of tragedy. And Ruth, I think, shows us this time and time again. The tragedy of losing husband, children, lands, it's all there. And yet, Ruth has a happy ending. Ruth has a fulfilling completion here because there's a child that's born and they can celebrate that this now, Naomi's family is not going to be eradicated from the people of Israel. The promises that God has made are going to continue on. Why is it so important? Why is this lineage such a big deal? Why does it matter if her son's name lives on? Because it goes back to what God has promised for his people. It goes back even to Genesis where God has promised that the seed of the woman, the descendant of Eve, that through that descent,
1: Messiah would come. Christ would come to deliver his people. And so preserving that is critical. So we see this Offspring that's produced.
0: And we see the joy that surrounds him. The women say to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. This child is not just... Hey, the celebration, we have a grandchild, but there's something more significant here. Because Naomi, her family will continue. And it's interesting that the book of Ruth keeps coming back to her, isn't it? I mean, it's called Ruth, not Naomi. Why do we keep going back to Naomi? We see in chapter 1, Naomi has the tragedy and Ruth follows her. But at the end of the chapter, we're back to Naomi who's like, hey, call me bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me. And we're back on Naomi. And then in the next chapter, Ruth is out gleaning, but it ends with Naomi hearing all the good news and, and you know, being encouraged by what is happening. And then in chapter 3, we have Naomi hatching the plan that's going to get Boaz and Ruth together. And here in chapter 4, the whole thing about Boaz and Ruth and all the wonderful things that God is doing, we're back to Naomi because The book of Ruth has a lot to do with redemption, and it's not just the redemption of Ruth, it's the redemption of Naomi. It's the redemption of Elimelech and his line.
1: God is not forgotten about all that Naomi has been through. He has not left her just
0: alone to age and to wither. Instead, God has brought her
1: from a place of devastation and tragedy to a place of redemption and I say that
0: because so many times we want to look at our lives and say, hey, I'm not having success. I'm not seeing the results I expect. It's it's really not turning out the way I thought it would. And I've had a lot of rough times. And and boy, oh boy, you know, it's just been so tough. But God in his goodness is still redeeming his people. God is still bringing joy and bringing goodness to And so here, Naomi, who has lost everything and who starts the book off bitter, is now bouncing a little baby boy on her knee, raising him and just having so much joy and celebration. And she has a daughter-in-law that's worth more than seven sons. That's how good life has gone for her from where it started. But it leads us all to the very end of this, and I'll speed it up a bit here,
1: and that is the remarkable objective that all of this is pointing to. Verse 16, Naomi
0: took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And verse 17, the women of the neighborhood. Now, these are the women who, when she came back from Moab and was angry and sad, who met her there in the village, and she said, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. God has dealt bitterly with me. Okay, yeah. Things have not gone well, obviously, Naomi. These same women are now gathered around her, rejoicing with her, and they give the child a name. It's unique in Scripture. But the women of the village name this son. A son
1: has been born to who? Not Ruth. Naomi. And they named him Obed. And then
0: here, this small phrase brings us really to what God has been doing
1: all through Ruth. He was the father of Jesse, father of David. Very simple
0: statement, but this is actually what Ruth has been bringing us to all along. The story of Ruth is, in the end... Not ultimately about Ruth, nor is it even about Naomi. It's about the work of God in bringing about
1: redemption, not just to Naomi and Ruth, but to his people for all time. These last few verses where we get a genealogy, the generations of paras, and you
0: know, we've all been there, right? Skip, 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 right? <clears throat> we get it. Lots of kids born. Kind of seems out of place. I mean, you're writing a movie. You don't, you don't end it. I mean, you end it with, you know, the, the, the final kiss at the end, right? You don't then go and say, okay, and then they had this kid and this kid and this kid and this kid. You're like, okay, whatever. Like, roll credits, right? Like, this is a weird thing. These last few verses kind of seem a little bit out of place because we just get a genealogy slapped on the end of this great
1: love story. Why do we even need this here? If you know the names, you can see that this is what the story has been leading to. Yes, it's an odd way to, lo- to end a love story, if a love story was the point. This, is, this has all happened. Think about this. Everything that has happened in Naomi's life,
0: and in Ruth's life, and in Boaz's life, is actually leading
1: to. Not to who they are, but who will come from them This all happens so that a- Obed could have a son named Jesse,
0: Jesse could have a son named David, and this David, who is a man after God's own heart, David who is appointed by God to be the king of Israel, David who will receive a promise from God that through his line his great 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 you get the point grandson
1: would be born in the same city incidentally that Ruth and Boaz meet this son born in Bethlehem be raised in the same
0: home of an unassuming but faithful couple in a backwater town of Nazareth, but would grow to become the greatest redeemer, not just of Naomi and Ruth, but of all
1: who would put their faith in him. He would not simply redeem a land. He would redeem a people given to him by his father. This greater son of Boaz, this kinsman redeemer, he would give his life For his bride. And in three days he would rise again,
0: ascend to heaven, sit on the right hand of his heavenly Father, and someday will return to claim the bride that he has paid his life for. And he will redeem them out of every kindred
1: and every tribe and every nation.
0: This is what God was doing
1: 3,200 years ago. When a little girl is born in Moab with no knowledge of God,
0: a young man is growing up in Bethlehem, learning how to care for his crops, learning how to observe the law, learning of his relationship with God and his responsibilities in it,
1: God was orchestrating a famine to send Elimelech to Moab allowing Elimelech and his sons to both die there for Ruth to be brought back to Israel. He
0: allowed Naomi and Ruth to experience poverty and widowhood and sorrow. He then brings her into a field where she has to work
1: and trudge and scrape by All so that she can meet Boaz. They
0: can fall in love. They can get married. They can have a son. All of this is God's work from beginning to end. We want to look and say, thank God for his providence when the good comes. And we understand,
1: thank God for his providence when the trials come as well. It is all from him. Now, I trust we can see the application of this. All the fear and all the sorrow and all the desperation, God was working to bring about his redemptive work. Commentator Dale Ralph Davis says of Ruth that the main truth is this, that God
0: takes the common In complicated circumstances, in the lives
1: of his people, and makes them contribute to his kingdom. Think about that. Those
0: things that you experience, those mundane things, those struggles in everyday life,
1: are working for us a greater glory. Conclude with this. We asked a question at the
0: beginning. Have you ever asked, what's the point? What do you have to show for all that that you've sacrificed and given in following God? You struggle with trials and why they exist in your life. You struggle with trusting God to make it come out okay. Say you're not alone. But I would offer this comfort. We have the promises and we have the word of God. That assures us that those, these trials come, they are for our good and they will bring glory to God. Even if we can't see it. It's interesting to note, Ruth and Boaz probably never meet David. They don't know he's going to be king. There's no promise. There's no angel that appears to Boaz like there is to to Abraham or to Jacob, there's no appearance to them to say, hey, good news, this son that you're having, Obed, is going to have a son named Jesse and he's going to have a son named David and I'm going to use David to bring about Jesus into the world. They don't get that promise. They have no announcement. They die never knowing what God will ultimately accomplish through them. But I believe they died in faith knowing that God
1: would accomplish something eternal whether they saw it or not. I don't know everything that God is doing in your life. I don't really know what all you're
0: going through right now. But I know that as if you are a believer,
1: I can reassure you that all things work together for good. I can't promise you you're going to see it in your lifetime. But I know this, that any service done for God, he redeems in his people. And it will
0: not go unnoticed. Think about that. He knows about the hairs
1: of your head. He sees those little things that you have done. If you're not a believer... I don't know what God has been doing to bring you to this place this morning. You may be able to look back
0: and see twists and turns in your life. How did I end up here?
1: But I can tell you this that if you are here and you have not received Christ, there is an opportunity for you to lay your life at His feet and to find forgiveness. And redemption. Gospel. Very simple. We are sinners. Separated from God. Fallen short of his perfect holiness. And God in his perfection. Cannot tolerate sin. His justice demands. a Punishment. But God in his holy love has also provided a way that that justice can be met, his wrath can be satisfied, and you can still be forgiven. In his love, he sent his son, descended from Boaz and Ruth to David, on through all the way to Mary and Joseph. His son lived a perfect life. Fully man, he was able to
0: experience the same struggles, but without sin. Yet fully God, able to bear the wrath of God that is rightly due to
1: us, and thus pay for your sin. And make it possible for you to be forgiven, accepted, and welcomed into the family of God. I urge you, do not delay. Do not reject the opportunity that is offered. If you will but repent,
0: turn from your sin, seek forgiveness and mercy,
1: we have the promises of the word of God that he does hear and he will answer and he will save. Do not delay. Christian again, Just to circle back to you, take comfort. We don't all see
0: amazing, miraculous events trickle out from our lives
1: where we can point and say, I made a difference. Based on the providence of God, based on the word of God, we know that he is working
0: all things for his glory you as a believer, as you surrender
1: to the will of God, and as you live in obedience, you further the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that everything we have comes from you. Lord, we recognize that even the trials that we face come by your hand.
0: Help us to Accept them as we accept the good. Knowing that God is for our benefit. The growing of our faith. the Strengthening of our faith. further glory of you, Lord, that these things are brought into our lives. And I pray that you would challenge us, Lord. If we're dealing with struggles, I pray like,
1: like the song says, Lord, it is well with my soul, Lord. When sorrows like sea billows roll, Lord, whatever our lot, in good or in bad, you
0: are to be praised, you are to be glorified. So, Lord, we thank you that all that you propose to happen, happens. That all things are ordered by your providence, and that you, Lord, are sovereign in control of all things. We give you praise and thanks. We bow our knee in recognition to this and ask that you would help us to
1: continue to be obedient, to be faithful, to love you with all of our hearts. And Lord, we thank you
0: that you have, through your grace, enabled us to have an eternal impact on those around us. May we not lose sight of that. And Lord, we may, may we continue to glorify you when that happens. Thank you so much for your goodness. Bless us in Jesus' name.